0: This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter.
1: And I'm Seth Haynes.
0: All right, Seth, what you drinking this afternoon?
1: Well, I am uh, drinking coffee. It's not mm-hmm. even coffee worth talking about. It's back to the old, the old office swill from the, from the old Keurig. It's just office coffee, yeah. And if you were here, I would buy you a free cup of office coffee.
0: <laughs> no, thank you. That's okay. How would
1: you feel about that?
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I would feel a little like you're trying to send me a message, like don't stay long well, or something. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe I'm trying to send myself a message, don't stay long. Right. I don't know. Don't Who knows? Stay long.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who knows anything anymore? Uh, what are you drinking?
0: Well, um, you're to blame for this because I'm drinking athletic oh. greens. Do you remember? Do you still drink this yes,
1: stuff? Yes, I do. Okay. It's, it literally changed my life.
0: Well, my kids call it mom's sludge. And okay. there's reason for it cuz it looks gross. It um does. And I wouldn't say I sip it like a cocktail or something, but it's not bad. Like the taste grows on you. And it in I don't know if this is an age thing or what, but it genuinely makes me feel better. <laughs> like I feel better drinking it.
1: You can feel you can feel it kicking in, can't you?
0: Yes, I feel it kicking yeah. in, and it's fast. And I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than it's not bad. And they are not a sponsor, although I wish they would be because they're not cheap. But uh, I like them, and I recommend them for my so if anyone, if anyone
1: yeah, I mean if it, I think I've heard also people in their mid thirties and mid twenties and mid teens say the same thing. Probably, I mean it's Probably. just supposed to be really good stuff, and there's a whole lot of like science behind it. Actually, I, I don't know if you've done the deep dive yet. Have you done that?
0: Nope no nope, i oh. i mean I keep meaning to
1: it's so good, okay. it's so good and um the the research is like it was created for athletes and to to you know you know improve peak performance and do all these things and um I one hundred percent believe it most of that yeah. stuff I'm like, oh, that's what we call in the legal field puffery, which means it <laughs> means means nothing right It's just yeah. like a way to like puff up your brand, but on this one, I kind of believe it it's so good,
0: yeah. It's super good, yeah. Yeah. So, All right. well, good.
1: I'm glad you're I drinking.
0: It. Yeah. I am and I'm going to start off our chat just explaining that if I sound different, it's because I'm in a different place. I'm in my neighbor's house uh, who are lovely and have graciously invited me and Jenny to come over because we're getting a new roof at our house, which is very exciting, but it means it is the loudest place on earth right now.
1: Well, I mean, before we kick off, I, I mean, I, I hear what why you said you're in a different location, but the truth is you're in an <laughs> underground bunker, isn't it?
0: It looks like it. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say this um, because these neighbors are so lovely. I don't think our demographics cross much at all, but my neighbor is a podcaster and he's got a pretty, pretty sizable following. His show is called Tornado Trackers. He's a professional storm tracker.
1: Shut up.
0: That's a real Get thing. Get
1: him in the room. Can we talk to I him know. right now? I've
0: actually thought about it would be really fun to have him on because he is such a cool guy. Um, so yeah, his job. Like, Well, here's the thing. It's hard to schedule him because he might be available. And then the next morning, there's some sort of tornado 500 miles away and he's off. So his wife is very patient, but he's cool. And his show is called Tornado Trackers. So people should listen wow. to him. But I, I can't guarantee you'll like it if you like the show. It's not exactly a Venn diagram of audience. Anyway. Well,
1: I don't know. I, listen, I think that's completely fascinating. And I mm-hmm. am 100% for that guy. So I may start listening yeah. to his, his podcast. Yeah. And you know, t- tornadoes, Tish, are like people. <laughs> they travel around the, from one place to the next. And with every move they make, they broaden their horizons. Sure. I was, it was a really good try to segue, but I don't think it worked.
0: <laughs> no. That's yeah. okay. That's yeah, okay.
1: So what are we talking uh-huh. about today, Tish?
0: Well, we're going to talk about travel, but not just like travel in a boring, like we all know what it's like. And so let's get into the how-tos. We're going to talk about why it matters, but not in a weird, like we're going to make you feel guilty for not uprooting the kids and going all over the place. We're going to talk about travel for normal people and... And I guess in particular, travel as an as an art, as a sacrament, or not a sacrament, as a sacramental practice, and what it means to go on a pilgrimage, because I'm endlessly fascinated with the concept of a pilgrimage versus just like a vacation or a trip. Um, and I will not bury the lead here. The reason we're going to talk about this is because our upcoming trip to Tuscany right now during May... 2022 you can um, register for it at 250 dollars off if you register be- between now when you're listening to this and May 31st and the trip is already pretty affordable like it's literally cheaper than the trip I lead to London my literary london trip it's cheaper than that so it's a really good deal and that's why we're talking about this
1: but and there's some really I'm, good people going there are some ama- some of you amazing listeners mm-hmm. are going and we're super stoked
0: Yeah, there's 20-something people going already, which is crazy. Um, It's bonkers. It's bonkers, but there's still room for more, and we would love to have you. And so I'm not going to bury that lead and pretend like I'm just going to pull that out like an infomercial. That's a real thing. But that's not also why we want to have this conversation. We also just want to talk about it because we like this topic.
1: 100%. So one of the things that I know that you have harped on, maybe as long as I've known you, probably as long as I've known you, is this idea of travel as a pilgrimage. And I think it looked different when we were in our midish 30s, when you were talking about travel as a pilgrimage. I think probably when we first met, you were sort of f- forming this as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I'm not really sure what your motivation to travel was. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, You're a very well-traveled person. And what was your motivation to travel in those, those really earliest days of moving from one place to the next? Other than boys, because I know you met met Kyle traveling. So, I mean, maybe there's a piece of that.
0: Yeah, I don't recommend going to a tiny country in the Balkans as a way to meet a boy. Um, (laughs) It worked out for me, but it's not exactly um, a guarantee. Yeah, so I started traveling internationally in high school, but really kind of hardcore late college and then onward into my 20s. And I don't want to say necessarily my primary motive was escapism nor adventure but those two were kind of fun byproducts that came with it you know experiencing something new by escaping my norm yeah and taking risks that i normally wouldn't take at home those were just happy i don't want to say accidents because i knew that would happen but they still weren't the primary motive for going i would say i can look back and see that i traveled honestly as a sacramental practice i just didn't know it i didn't know mm-hmm. That's what I was doing. You know, if we harpen if we hearken back to our original message and ethos of the show, right, which is to talk about the sacramental nature of all things. And if we look into what Saint Ignatius originally talked about, the idea of being seeing God in all things, I think I was searching for God. And that sounds Mm -hmm. so like hippy dippy or so eat pray love that I it's a cliche. But I really do think that's what I was doing. And so even though my trips involved going to pubs in Dublin and, you know, Kyle's had the same experiences of spending the night on park benches in the snow in Switzerland, we can both say that they were forms of pilgrimages in some way. Because by definition, a pilgrimage is simply a journey to a place that's associated with something known or respected. Mm. And... And so whether that's something important to you or something important to the collective human race, there's something sacred about a place. You know, we live in such a digital world that it's easy to forget that like putting our physical bodies in a physical physical space really does do something to us. And I can look back and say it most certainly did for me and it affected my formation in a huge way.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about that. Like, What in yeah. your experience, particularly as you think through traveling as a pilgrimage, what are the ways that it shapes your thinking, your spirituality, your psychology, just your ways of being in the world?
0: Uh, there's a whole lot of ways it did that, so I'm not going to hit on all of them. But I would say one that was huge for me – well, it's funny I just used that word – is that it helped me see how small I was, am. Mm. I should say. And that's so healthy and good for all of us to remember. I think um, especially because we can just access pretty much the world in our pockets through our phones, it's easy to forget what a billion people looks like. And yeah. I mean, well, I, I can't even picture it. And I've been to China and, and places like that. But it's still really humbling when you are on a crammed, can't go anywhere Can barely breathe subway in Beijing, China. That gives you a taste of what a billion people feels like. And so when you're out there actually experiencing it, you remember how small you are and in a good way, how unimportant you are. And we can really easily forget that, I think. We meaning just humans. So I'm not throwing you and I under the bus. I don't know. Have you had that happen traveling before?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, in certain ways, in various ways. For me, it's less about the humanity and it's more about the the vastness of a particular landscape. So those moments of smallness have come, you know, when I was looking at the Rockies or when I'm staring across, you know – um hundreds and hundreds of years of olive fields in Italy. You know, you're looking at this like Mm -hmm. expansive visual history that's laid out before you. It makes you feel small or um, when you're standing on the, you know, in front of the ocean or, or whatever those things are. For me, um, the travel is more a celebration of the goodness and the beauty that's in the world through human creativity. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's really the reason why I love to travel. I love to see people in their element that don't speak the same language as I do that don't, you know, follow the same routines as I do doing something that brings life and joy. And for me, a lot of times that's through cooking. I, I experience that big time, uh, through cuisine. Um, mm-hmm. so, I love traveling down to South Louisiana. It's probably my favorite place to go in the world. And when I travel down to South Louisiana, you're surrounded by people who sort of speak with an affectation that's way different than anywhere <laughs> else in the South. And right, um, you eat food that is otherwise w- would would probably gross you out anywhere else in America. And, um, you know, we we spend time down in the marshes down there and you see landscape you otherwise wouldn't and watch people, um, you know, troll and fish for their nightly catch and their nightly dinner and just live Mm -hmm. in a totally different routine, a totally different timeline and time, you know, schedule, so to speak. And that's the kind of stuff to me that really affects me when I'm traveling is just expanding my view of the way humans live, uh, I yeah. remember there was this moment. Um, I traveled to to Ethiopia. It was would have been probably seven years ago, five seven years ago now, and I'd been several times. But on this particular trip, we were going to um, this you know little village um, where we had some friends who lived, and and we we walked into this village, and it was probably ten o'clock at night. And they had this big fire pit. And on the fire pit, they had this massive disc-like walk, right? So it was like Mm -hmm. a walk, but it was huge. It was just sitting on this open fire pit. And we came in and they threw um, some lard in the middle and sort of it it watched it melt down and create this like oily base. And they just started throwing like goat meat and vegetables and all this stuff in the middle, um, sprinkled some spice all over it, and then, you know, fed it to us. It was so amazing. It was like one of the most amazing meals I've ever had. Part of it was because I was tired. I was in Ethiopia. You could hear the hyenas. I was with good friends mm-hmm. um, that I hadn't seen in in several years. And And I looked at my Ethiopian friend and I said, man, thank you so much for staying up late and cooking for us and eating and all this. And um, and he was like, "Late. This is this was when we would normally eat." And I just, it was so funny to me to listen yeah. to him talk through a completely different way of living, of cooking. There was human ingenuity and creativity right in front of me, and it was that kind of thing. And it's always been that kind of thing that just really excites me uh, to travel. And and again, it's it's not a big or small thing to me. It's more of like, man, we have all been created to be creators. Um, Mm -hmm. And you just see that in full display when you get outside of your comfort zone and you go somewhere else.
0: Yeah. 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 I think there's something about experiencing different ways of doing something so universal, like eating or um, having a conversation that there's something uniting about those common human practices, yet something really disorienting about how People do that differently, you know. Ethiopia is a great example of that when it comes to food, Uh, and so you're sharing this common experience yet doing it in a drastically different way. And you don't realize how much you were you until you're around people that are decidedly not like you, and it makes you feel small in a healthy, like in a just right way. I think not not in an obnoxious like I don't matter way in a this is healthy and good for me to remember. And in fact, I think one of the reasons on our big trip that my family and I took uh, in 2014 and 15, experiencing that was good because it was at this height of internet, um, just just being a person on the internet height for me that felt all sorts of weird. It felt like a sweater that didn't fit me right and I didn't know what Mm. to make of it. And it was just a delight to be in a place where like, nobody cares here who i am like not only do they not know they don't care at all um because i am one tiny person in a sea of asia you know um yeah. or everywhere and that's that's good for us and so to remember our common our commonalities among so many different people is so just how it should be
1: yeah and and uh, you know as i've traveled. And I think we talked about this a little bit, you know, years ago we traveled to Italy um, with a, with a small group. And um, I mean, even being there and looking at the people and seeing them work for a living in various ways, I think about the leather maker um, that we, that we met in the little town. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about the people who, who ran the Agra tourism uh, farm and um, just watching people create uh, ways of living and life and livelihood, out of their particular mater- materials, the materials of their everyday world, it just reminds reminds me and reminded me that you know we all sort of have the same dreams. Yeah. We all want to create something of value that outlasts us and get paid for it. We all want to uh, see our kids go on to get good educations. We all want our you know grandkids to live better lives than we did um and this is like a common dream shared by all humanity and 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 that's the thing that to me has really woken me up even over the last you know whatever it has been two months, um, with the war happening in Russia and Ukraine. I, I think about the people in Ethiopia, the little girls who said, I just want to be a doctor. Or I think about the leather maker who wanted his, his kids and grandkids to have a better life than he did in Italy. And I think about all these things. And then I think about those people in, in Russia and Ukraine who are being, you know, in Russia in particular, um, you know they're being led into war that they 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 didn't want, they didn't ask for. None of the people wanted to ask for it. They all have a common dream, and the dream is to live a better life. Um, you know, every day to have a more beautiful, more full, more robust life. And it's it's power that corrupts that. That's the thing that I'm also reminded of. It's it's mm-hmm. it's rarely the people, right? It's rarely the people on the ground who are creating catastrophe. Um, it's always some power structure somewhere that's that's trying to control the people. And that's mm. a uh, always a good reminder for me too. It, it allows you to see the humanity in others as you travel.
0: Yeah, agreed. And I think with that, another reason I travel, and this is not anything new, this is how most of us, why most of us travel is um, for a sensory awakening, I think is the only way I can put it. it we've all experienced it where we we've heard that our Place of you know where we live, yours, place and mine in particular, Seth, um, is lovely. You know it's really pretty. Yeah. Hero, you've got good yeah. food, you've got good art, yeah. you've got good whatever it is. But you kind of forget because you're just used to it. It's it's like asking a fish to describe water. And there is something jolting about taking yourself out of where you are and putting yourself somewhere else that has completely different sensory input. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Italy, I can't think of a better place. On Earth, probably that does this well when it comes to tapping all five senses. You know, you've already hinted at the food, and that's kind of a given. It's so common knowledge about Italian food, but it's so true. You know, down to the tiniest little thing, down to the slice of meat and the sip of wine and the piece of bread, it's just otherworldly. Yeah. Uh, and then the the sights. You know, when it comes to the geography, in particular, the part where we're going, Tuscany, the role of the hills and the and the way farmers use the land, which we've talked about before, the art, which is just bonkers. I mean, I can't think of a place that has a higher percentage of astounding art and architecture in one little area. Um, all those things. And it's not to make us feel like where we came from is An awful place, like, well, gosh, our, you know, it's common for Americans to feel like where we live is brand new compared to all these old places. That's true. But, um, I really like what Terry Pratchett, the writer, talks about when he, when he talks about travel. He says, um, why do we go away? It's so that we can come back, so that we can see the place we came from with new eyes and extra colors and the Mm. people, and, and then the people see you there differently. Coming back to where you started is not the same as never leaving. And so for me, I love to leave to experience those things so that when I come back, I appreciate them more. And it's not because yes. like, gosh, I was just in Tuscany. Now I'm in boring old Georgetown. No, it's because it's like, oh my gosh, art is everywhere. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the the, the thing that I love the most when we visited, Tus- when we visited Tuscany, um, I, you know, listen, I love, you know, seeing the David. I love visiting the Uffizi. I love, you know, Looking at all the amazing art in the plaza, the the statues in the plaza and listening to the, you know, guitarists outside doing things that I could never do with a tip hat out. You know, I loved all that. But mm-hmm. what really, really stood out to me was um, the art that you find in the more common places. You know, it yeah. was, again, it was the little leather maker um, it was the women who made the peachy in the village. Um, it, you know, it was the, you remember the village we went to and, um, I don't even know what the celebration was, but they had all these beautiful flower petals out on the street. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and they had that little festival where they were like spinning flags and mock sword fighting and all this kind of stuff. And uh-huh. it was just like was a, like a mm-hmm. yeah, it was like a real life play and we did had no idea we were wandering into it. Um <laughs> and it's just this like everyday art uh that is just really human. And that yeah. is what I loved most about uh Tuscany. I think I'm always gonna love that most. I'm always looking for it when I'm out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's such a inviting pocket of the world that allows you to just partake of that. You know, this is a place that the way they live is art. Mm -hmm. And I'm mean, i not trying to make it sound like, you know, otherworldly, because I know there are people with real lives and jobs, and they feed their families and go to school and do all the things. But it really feels like they have gotten the memo on how to do the little things of life artistically, um, when it comes to, you know, Gelato, when it comes to the curve of the streets and their tiny little villages, Um, Mm -hmm. the way they use time, you know, we've talked about that a lot, but how they are slow going. You know, I remember when we came back um, on our family trip and there was a sign out that just said, like, to a shop, like, closed for two weeks for a family wedding. Like, they just left. And to them, that (laughs) was more important than making a profit for those two weeks.
1: Right. Right. And I
0: love that. I love that. It's such a good lesson for us.
1: Yeah it's yeah. it's weird too like i i i remember thinking at one point like how do you close your shops down from like 1 to 4 <laughs> what you know whatever it is every day and uh-huh. then open back up at night and all of a sudden you know it's like 6:30 or 7 when i want to be taking a nap and you guys are you know running a uh, running a <laughs> full-time business you know that that should have been in my mind shut you know 2 hours ago it's just everything is different and yet everything is is so the same, you know. So yep. let me ask you That's this: right. if you, if somebody were going to say, you know, why should I travel? Let's say, why should I travel to Tuscany as a as a particular question, but like, why should I travel? Mm-hmm. Why should I spend the time to travel? Because I don't know about your family, but I came from a family where you traveled for summer vacation. Um, but we kind of always went to the same places and we knew all the stuff and, um, you just kind of visit that place over and over again. But outside of that, we didn't really travel. So why travel?
0: Yeah. Same with me. I hardly went anywhere growing up. I think the farthest we went from Texas was Colorado. And then I traveled on my own internationally and that's where I got the bug, but exactly the same. I didn't grow up with this, um, you know, high view of the place of travel in our lives. Um, So here's the thing. There There is something about place, right? We live in specific places and times, and this affects who we are and what we do and how we relate to God and other people. And there seems to be a picture of God embracing People and places, and tying them together all throughout human history, we see this mm. in all sorts of th- ways. Um, and so, place matters. We're affected by where we're from and where we live, where we raise our family, and that's a good thing. We can't separate that. You know, we're we're actual bodies, and so the ground underneath our feet matters. Places yes. matter, and yes. it's good to recognize that in our life. And I think one of the ways we recognize that is, like I was saying earlier is by leaving it. And the reason is because what a pilgrimage is, as I said at the top, is um, it's intentionally going somewhere. It's an intentional journey to a place associated with something that matters. And in the case of something like this, I think it's a journey to a, I mean, I want to call it sacred place because of the history there, the um significant it, significance it has on the rest of the world, and because when we travel together, even those of us who are on this side of the trip, strangers, I have every you know intention of making friends on this trip um, mm-hmm. those conversations become sacramental practices as well, and so there's something yeah. about the uniting of people in places where we have meaningful conversations and meaningful places that change us. Whatever reason that happens, there's, you know, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the 19th century poet, when she says, earth is crammed with heaven and every bush, yeah. a common bush of fire with God, yeah. but only he who sees takes off his shoes, the rest of us sit around and pluck blackberries. I think having those conversations in very particular places that are singular, meaning like there's only one David in the world, there's only one field outside, you know, the the monastery san antimo where we would have a picnic in the yeah. world and having yeah. conversations big and small you know we're not talking about like now let's open up and and have our biggest life stories they can be about a really good book you read that you want to recommend to someone else cuz you think they would love it and that'll change your life yeah. and i think now more than ever two plus years into a lot of isolation we are craving that connection with other people yeah. even among people we don't really know yeah. How about you?
1: No, I agree with all of that 100%. And I Yeah.
0: to
1: to me it is really uh, you know the why travel question is a question of why human. I mean this is <laughs> right. this is a very uh, it's a huge part of what it means to be human is to understand each other, to learn to listen to get to know each other to understand that we all want to some you know varying degrees we all want beauty we all want goodness we all want truth we're all on that quest together and some people answer those questions about what is truth what is beauty what is goodness differently but every time i'm around someone else who answers it in a different way in a different area of the world i get a little piece of epiphany and i think truthfully i get a little piece of what it means to see Um, everybody has made in the image of God. And so Mm -hmm. to me, travel is, is really answering the question, like, what does it mean to be human and why are we human and how do we operate in the world as humans? Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I just like, I encourage everyone that can travel, even if it's not to Italy, you know, maybe you can't jump on a plane. I realize that, that there's a very small percentage of people who can do that. right? Right. But but most people can travel 60 miles away, 100 miles mm-hmm. away. You know Most people can go to a different region or a different area, or find somewhere within their existing region that's outside of their frame of reference. And, and just people watch and people listen and talk and mm-hmm. share stories and kind of get to know each other. So I think about, for instance, uh, you know here in the Ozarks, there's this thing called war eagle. Do you know about this? Do you know about War <clears> eagle? No, so War Eagle is this craft fair that is ridiculous as some people <laughs> I'm sure listening to this know about it it's uh it draws people from all over the country um it's very you know craft heavy which I am not um I'm not into like chickens on checkerboards and quilts right. And, you know, this sort of thing. Um, and that's the kind of person it draws lots of American flags, um, probably a lot of people who voted for candidates <laughs> that I wouldn't vote for. And, um, but when you go and you see all of these people, mostly conservative, mostly older, gathering together for a common purpose, and it's oriented around uh, really amazing artistry, and, and even if it's not your artistry, like it's still artistry and, and beauty and goodness. You just see them as humans. You don't see them as an opposition party. You don't see them as people who want to tear down the fabric of America. Um, Hopefully they don't see me as an opposition party. They don't see me as wanting to tear down the fabric of America. Um, You don't see each other necessarily for your particular theological views either. You just see each other as human. And at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, I think that's the most redeeming thing we can do in a freaking insane world is stop go somewhere else and see the people in the other place as human.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we think of a pilgrimage having to do with mindset ultimately, right? And that that's what makes it different than perhaps a break or a a vacation. Um, A pilgrimage is the expectation of meeting God, you know, meeting God on the road um, in nature and, and especially the people seeing the divine put in every person all, all of us, and that can happen by going to you know your grandmother's childhood home, yeah. Or it could happen in the Sistine Chapel, and yep. and both matter and both are significant. And That's right. if you can go to either one, it's such a blessing. And so that I think is ultimately our invitation of like, would you like to come and see the divine in all things uh, with us this summer? And that's what I just love about travel. And that's what gets me so excited about getting to finally go again after several years of us not. (laughs) Yes. So
1: if people want to go on pilgrimage with us, what can they do?
0: Yeah. All they have to do is use the link in the show notes of this episode. And and it's at com slash travel or trips. I forget. One of those two. (laughs) I'll put the link in the show notes. That's so great, um, and they don't have to do anything. I double checked. There's no like special code or something. It's just two hundred and fifty dollars off right now.
1: Wait, it can't. So it can't fun. be that easy, Tish. Isn't there <laughs> oh, a requirement of putting down that your child is collateral or uh, giving <laughs> yeah. a blood sample? Is it's, there's got to be more than that?
0: Right now is when we turn into an infomercial, right? But wait, no. But there's wait, there's more. Right. No, really and truly, all you have to do is sign up. And I will be honest, I know like four people on this trip, maybe. I I think maybe four. There's not very many people I know. And that's a little bit crazy, but also really fun. So don't feel like you have to go or you have to know somebody to go. Just join us. Like, we'll figure it out. It'll be fun.
1: Yes. And Can we say some ground rules, like no politics or something? Is that a thing that we can say when we're on the trip? Oh, hey, we don't want to talk absolutely. about politics.
0: Absolutely. Like we'll talk about. Like people will land. We'll say, "Welcome." Don't tell me who you voted for. <laughs> Onward. I never
1: want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> hear I about am
0: it. so down with that. I would love that yeah. idea. Yeah, All yeah. right,
1: that's good. That's okay. a ground rule that we just made up right here on the show. You heard it first.
0: All right. Sounds lovely. So, Seth. As we wind down, what is something in your life right now that is making your life more beautiful?
1: Well, mm. more beautiful is tricky as we've always talked about how the darkness sometimes can be beautiful. Hello darkness, my old friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, earlier this year I finished up finally Station 11. We talked about this, right? We did. We did. Yeah, I love the book. It was just so, It was so well done in so many ways. It was jaunty and poetic and vicious and utterly human and very beautiful. And so I wanted to finish it because I knew that um, the series was out, the, the the television series was out on HBO. And so I wanted to watch it, but I wanted to finish the book first. Come to find out, I didn't need to finish the book first. Now, I am not telling anyone not to read the book first. However... The uh series has been described by its creator as a quote aggressive adaptation. Do you know what that means, Tish? Aggressive adaptation?
0: My guess is it's very loosely similar to the original yes, text. Okay. Correct.
1: The bones you will recognize. The uh, actual details, no, not not there. Very different. And I was okay. remarking to Amber last night that somehow this show is the same as the book, um, in some ways that you know the changes, the aggressive adaptations in some ways have actually created a much more psychologically compelling book than it would, or, or a series than it would have been if it had just been a, a straight adaptation of the book. And I started thinking about that this morning, and my conclusion is that when you read stories, your brain fills in psychological gaps. Like your hmm. brain fills in these details, it like lets the 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 character sort of breathe and and experience the world, and you kind of create some backstories that maybe weren't there or, surf, or fill in some gaps, which is why I think so many of us that are huge novel readers and love to read novels will interpret stories differently, right? Or catch different things in stories because of the way our brains are filling these psychological gaps. Um, you know, typically speaking, film doesn't do that in, in quite the same ways. And, um, and so they're really making use of the bones of this story to really have an in-depth, uh, study of really the psychology of what it means to be, um, collective, a collective of people Mm. and also individual, Mm -hmm. uh, still be very individualistic and individually oriented. Um, And it is so, so good. We're only about three and a half episodes in, but Mm -hmm. it's one of those things that just, uh, it's just really, really well done as an exploration of human psychology.
0: Where is it streaming right now?
1: I think it's streaming on max on HBO max. That's okay my best recollection. So if you okay, were a cool. fan of the book, definitely check out the series. Uh, you, It's not going to be spoiled because you've read the book. I promise you that much.
0: Nice. All right. That's good to know. I loved the book. Have not seen the show. Um, my brother recently recommended it and said it was super good. So I believe it is. You. And it is. Yeah, it's I really want to see it. How long okay, has it been since you cool. read the book? It's been a number of years. Like, yeah, you, I, I kind of felt that. like, oh, I need a reread. So now I feel like I don't need to. So that's good.
1: Yeah, you may not even you may not even recognize the parts that are different, but they are significantly different. So cool. Um, All right. But very good. So what's one thing that you're listening to or watching or reading that's bringing truth, goodness or beauty to your life? Like what's making you alive?
0: Well, um, speaking of a reread. I just finished 1984 with my students, as I've mentioned before, and you need Hey-o. to chase that with something beautiful, right? You cannot mm-hmm, yes, just wallow in 1984, especially no, right now. No, please don't. No uh, one. And so just thinking about how we are going to Italy, I dusted off my copy of Four Seasons in Rome by Anthony Doerr, our oh, our near wow. patron saint of the show. I don't oh, know if you've gosh. ever read it. Yes, it I have. It's phenomenal. frustrating. It's a yeah, it's frustratingly frustrating good, good book. Is. Yes. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, this is a book, he spent one year in Rome writing All the Light We Cannot See. And he he won some kind of grant for really good writers or really smart people or whatever. He had uh, little bitty kids, twin boys, I believe he and his wife had. And it's just the memoir of that year. And you would think there's not much to say because he's there to write. But boy, howdy, is it good because he's such a good writer. And I will tell you, Anne Bogle, our friend told me to read this book and I read it and it hit me because I was in the middle of writing at home in the world. It hit me why it was so damn good and why mine was meh. And it's because he writes in the present tense. And I've mentioned this before, but I realized it. And so I rewrote my my manuscript in present tense and it came alive and it sounded so much better. And uh, it's just so well done. So I just have been flipping through it, reading little you know, you can read a few paragraphs of his and feel feel like you've just eaten an amazing piece of cheese. Um, and so it just gets me excited about Italy because of the way he says it. And in fact, I just found this little quote I'm going to read because it it really encapsulates what we were just saying. He says, leave home, leave the country, leave the familiar. Only then can routine experience buying bread, eating vegetables, saying hello, become new all over again. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about. And so read this book and or come with us to Italy. Both are great.
1: Yes. And and I will say, I think the reason why writing in the present tense, for any of you writers out there who want to know, writing uh, in the present tense is a good exercise is because it actually requires you to step into an embodied space and mm-hmm. hear and smell and see and taste and do all the things that, um, you know, E.E. E. Cummings thinks... God, for most this glorious, um, are amazing, most amazing. I, I mean, it requires you to really step into um, the moment. And there's something really beautiful about that in travel writing. The best travel writing does yeah. that. It brings you into the concrete moment.
0: Well, the way I would describe it uh, is that instead of watching a slideshow of someone else's vacation after they came back, it feels like you're given a backpack and asked to come along. Yeah,
1: yeah And that's yeah, what it that's feels great. like
0: in this book. It feels like you're walking through Rome. So yes. Uh, two thumbs up I love this book all Me right too. all right well it is time to wrap up this chat you can find this episode as well as all episodes at a adrinkwithafriend.com and you can guess what I'm going to tell you to do we would love for you to join us in Italy this summer it is really shaping up nicely yet there's still room for you so find the link in this episode to learn more and join us we would super duper love to have you You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my Substack newsletter at TishOxenRider.com. Seth, how about you?
1: They can find me at SethHaines.Substack.com, and that might be the first time on this show that I've actually (laughs) nailed that.
0: (laughs) Well done. It's so hard. Thank you. Yes, it is. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod, editing is by Kyle OxenRider. I'm Tish OxenRider with Seth Haynes, and we will be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.